Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your peace, your love, your challenges, and your hope. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the first in a sermon series about being teachable as people of faith. How do we hear God's voice and lead lives that are centered around that voice in ways that give us purpose and joy? This week I'm going to begin by talking about distractions. Some of the things in our lives that keep us from being teachable because they crowd out the voice of God. Graham Standish is an author and spiritual advisor. He says that one of the things that distracts us the most is a problem that he calls too much and not enough. Too much and not enough. Too much. People work too many hours, he says. They spend too much time shuttling their kids back and forth to this activity and that one. They do too much in their leisure, leisure time. They spend too much money on too many things. The irony is that we add too much to some parts of our lives, while in other parts of our lives we don't have enough. Not enough time to spend with our spouses or our children or taking care of ourselves or producing quality work. Not enough money to provide for the financial commitments that we've already made or for the retirement that we hope to have. And yet we keep on doing more and more. Add insult to this injury by this. Often the fixes that are offered, the fixes to correct this stress, they add even more to our lives. You should meditate. You should pray. You should add this practice or this exercise to your routine. You should read this book or buy this device that will help you. Even more when we already have too much. This is a tricky topic to talk about, especially in these days of pandemic, because I know that among you there are those who have lots of different life circumstances. Some folks feel overwhelmed. Working from home, caring for children who are at home with us, wondering what the heck we're going to do when school starts on a modified schedule, and even lacking many of the activities that we usually enjoy and the commitments that we usually have, lacking those things, we are still somehow super busy. There is so much to keep up with, and these groundhog days somehow seem to keep on racing by. Other folks, I know, have a completely different set of circumstances. Single and staying at home, and older, and living in a quarantined retirement community. For folks in these kinds of situations, life has slowed way down. Work is less social than it used to be. Activities and outings are not happening. Extremely valuable time that you like to spend with friends or grandchildren or a volunteer opportunity that you cherish, these things have gone away. 
and there's loneliness and depression and days that crawl on very slowly. For any of us, too much eating or too much drinking or other unhealthy habits threaten to sneak in. And, and we share anxiety about the routine allergy symptoms or the routine headaches that we think might turn out to be COVID. These stresses have been added to life. And the treasured normal activities that have been taken away, these things that have been added and taken away, they are yet another instance of too much and not enough in our lives. All these problems have one thing in common. They show a lack of balance in our lives, a lack of centeredness. There is a different kind of life that our creator wants for us. Finding the balance and the centering that we long for and that God wants for us, finding that is a difficult challenge, but it is one worth taking up. Today I'm going to talk about one of the many biblical people who struggled with some aspect of too much and not enough and who went on a journey to greater balance. The story of Jacob appears in the book of Genesis. It appears over the course of eight chapters. I'm going to remind you briefly of some of the early parts of that story, and then I'm going to focus on two parts of the story that come toward the end. Jacob, some of you will remember, is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. He is the second born of twins, along with his twin brother Esau. In the early stories of Jacob's life, we experience him as a, an ambiguous kind of a character. We are told pretty clearly that God's hand is on Jacob's life. But we struggle with what that means, for Jacob is a greedy and deceptive person. He steals his older brother Esau's birthright and blessing, an offense deep enough that he leaves home fearing for his life. After wandering for a while, Jacob settles in another land where he meets a man named Laban. There's a story, it's intended to be humorous in parts, about what happens there, about how deceitful young Jacob works seven years to earn the hand of Laban's daughter, Rachel, only to be tricked by Laban into marrying his other daughter, Leah, first. And then Jacob has to work another seven years. And once he finally marries Rachel, the two of them endure a similar long struggle before they are able to produce an heir. The whole story repeatedly speaks of the struggle of too much and not enough. From the beginning, Jacob sees himself as inadequate. There is not enough of what he wants out of life. He is in a constant struggle to get more and to achieve more, first with his brother Esau, and then with Laban, and finally with Rachel. Jacob spends most of his life working at things he may not have even enjoyed in order to get the things that he thought he wanted. And the irony is that at the end of all of this, he arrives, he finds himself with more than anyone needs. But the very next thing that we hear about Jacob is that he still feels inadequate 
He's still afraid of his older brother. And what he longs for most is healing in that broken relationship. That relationship he ruined so long ago as a child. That background leads us to the stories we read this morning. Jacob starts the journey home with all of his family and all of his flocks, and he makes careful plans to see his brother Esau. He prepares lavish gifts. He practices apology. He knows that his life may still be in danger, and he prepares his wives and his children to run for their lives in case that becomes necessary. The night before the two brothers meet, a strange thing happens. In the middle of the night, Jacob is confronted by a mysterious man who wrestles with him all night long. The most plausible identity for this mysterious man is that he represents God. This is strange in itself because Jacob does not seem to be so religious. In the long story about his life, God really isn't mentioned that much. And then along comes this story of the wrestling match, which is one of the most intimate encounters in the Bible between a human being and God. It's unexpected. But appear God does, and wrestle they do. The details of the story are few, but for sure it is not the kind of wrestling match with God that one would expect. For one thing, God doesn't dominate the match. It's pretty much a draw. Second, Jacob receives a permanent injury as a result of this encounter with God. He is struck on his hip socket by God, and the pain will remain with him for the rest of his days. Well, they wrestle all night, and just before dawn the next morning, the two wrestlers finally release each other, and they are exhausted and breathless, and they have a mysterious exchange of words. Jacob is given a blessing, and he's given a new name. He becomes Israel the father of the nation. And Jacob asks to know God's name and does not get an answer. His wrestling partner remains in so many ways a mystery. The next morning, Jacob rides out to meet his estranged brother Esau. And contrary to everything Jacob the swindler expects, Esau forgives him. Our sacred text says, quote, Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Jacob then tries to give Esau gifts, which Esau says he doesn't need. Jacob is surprised by grace in meeting his brother. For all that he has lost, Esau is the one who seems to be at peace with the life that he has. In Esau, Jacob meets someone who does not see himself as inadequate, but knows that he has enough. All of this, all of this grace, happens not because Jacob has prepared himself for it, but because of that chance encounter with God that happened the night before and because of Jacob's openness to be changed by it. Jacob is far from perfect, but he's teachable.
author Frederick Buechner, calls Jacob's encounter with God the magnificent defeat. The magnificent defeat. It's a defeat because of that strike to his hip socket. Jacob walks away with that limp that he will have for the rest of his life. Because of his encounter with God, Jacob is finally going to start reconstructing the brokenness in his life. And that's the magnificent part. The story ends well for Jacob, but it does not e end easily, and does, it does not end perfectly. Jacob reconciles with his brother and with his past, but he has to lose something of himself in the process. He walks away with a limp. In addition to that, he will also lose other things. He will let go of some of the material things he's been striving to amass his whole life. And in that, more importantly, Perhaps he gives up some of that needless striving itself. He makes some changes in what counts for purpose and meaning in his life. So, in encountering God, Jacob finally gets what he needs, though it was different than what he wanted. The author and spiritual director, Graham Standish, who I spoke of earlier, he offers some things for us to think about as we reflect on what it means to have too much and not enough in our lives as we try to embrace the better life that God wants for us. Importantly, I wouldn't call these insights answers or solutions. He offers some things instead for us to think about so that we can be teachable. One of his insights is that to hear God's voice, we need for the broken places in our lives to be healed. And that healing, he says, that healing is different than a cure. To be cured means to be absent of all illness or disease. That kind of a cure may just not be possible in some of the parts of our lives that are broken. But it may be possible to experience healing in our broken places, to become a more healthy person despite the continuing presence of brokenness. One example of how this works that may be familiar to you is addiction. Many people who are in recovery experience healing in the midst of real brokenness in their lives. By choosing to leave behind an addictive behavior, they experience a rebirth in wonderful parts of their lives, parts of their lives that had almost been destroyed by addiction. But it comes at a cost. Leaving the addictive behavior is very hard work. And not only that, but they are not cured of the addiction. The addiction doesn't go away. It requires regular, even daily discipline and support and encouragement to live with this element of their life that has become too much. Sort of like Jacob's injury to his hip. The addiction will always be a part of them. But even though it is something with which they struggle, that struggle itself may even remind them of the blessings they've found in recovery. There are other examples. Many of us know someone, perhaps it is you, who has suffered through a terrible illness or endured a devastating loss. 
Perhaps that suffering did not go away entirely, but it has led to some other kind of healing. A renewal of the right priorities. The restoring of a relationship that had been broken. A reminder of the preciousness of the time we have on this earth. And there are other smaller ways in which these healings happen all the time. I know that for me, the added demands of COVID are working a kind of healing in my own life. I'm a pretty driven person who likes to be accomplishing things all the time. I'm getting a little bit better, week by week, at being with my little children and not accomplishing anything just enjoying the time with them and reminding myself that there will be a time that is here before I know it when they're not so excited as they are now to spend time with their dad. So I need to enjoy it while it lasts. I'm not cured of my need to move faster and get more done. I probably never will be cured of it. But maybe I'm getting more accepting of those imperfections that will always be a part of my working and my parenting because they're a part of who I am. Maybe I'm making some peace with giving up some things in order to receive other kinds of gifts. I wonder if others of you are experiencing anything like that. I'll end this way for today, and I'm going to try to say this carefully. The pastoral staff here at Knox, we work regularly to share stories uh, and to share resources for spiritual growth in the communications we send to you. And we're going to start sharing some additional resources through a wellness ministry that we're working to create. What I want to say carefully about this is that these resources are not more things for you to do. We are very much aware of the stresses and burdens that you are carrying and the variety of experiences that are out there. Not everything that we send will be just right for you. That's a guarantee. But we will share some things that may help if you are struggling with loneliness or boredom. And we will send other things meant for folks whose days are already feeling impossibly full. We are living in a world that is in need of so many kinds of healing. Often we cannot bring about the healing we need by ourselves, or in the timing we would choose, or in the way that we want it, or without a struggle or a loss. But God has a way of giving us what we need and helping us understand that we have enough. Sometimes God shows up for a wrestling match that lasts a long time. And God shows up in countless other ways. Whenever God's voice appears, I pray that we will be teachable to it. Amen.